I'm so glad you've joined us today. Whether here in the auditorium or online or in our city location, I'm excited about the series we're in on freedom. And our key verse is one out of an epistle that proclaims freedom, the book of Galatians, and takes on legalism and other things that bind us and stop us from living in the freedom that Christ has given to us. Galatians 5 and verse 1, and I'm reading from the Passion Translation, says this. This is Paul speaking. Let me be clear. Christ has set us free. Not partially, but completely and wonderfully free. We must always cherish this truth and stubbornly refuse to go back into the bondage of our past. Pastor Danielle, two weeks ago, launched the series talking about what is freedom. And last week we looked at why do we need freedom? And the reason we need it is we are broken and are bound and we fight a spiritual enemy who seeks to hinder and destroy our lives. And Christ came to set us free from both sin and the consequences of sin and anything that the devil might do to bind your life up. And so today we're going to start talking about how do we live in freedom? And next week, Pastor Linda's going to bring some really practical things around that same question. How do we live in freedom? But let's just start with this. I'm kind of laying a foundation of how we live in freedom. And an understanding of Jesus' humanity and the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit is vital to us living in freedom. And you might go, well, I understand the Holy Spirit, but what's the humanity of Jesus got to do with me living in freedom? Well, let's explore that. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, the Apostle Paul makes this declaration. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He, speaking of Jesus, appeared in the flesh was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations and believed on in the world and was taken up in glory. I want you to notice that opening statement. Beyond all question, the mystery from which godliness springs is great. The mystery from which godliness springs is great. Now, it's a mystery because there's some of what we're going to talk about today that we're going to go, oh, I kind of get some of that. That's what a mystery is. But there's still some of it that I don't fully understand. And that's all right. But he says the mystery of true godliness springs from these things. And the first thing he says, that Jesus appeared in the flesh. He directly connects us living godly lives, living free lives with the humanity of Jesus. There was never a time when Jesus became God for God's eternal. He's an eternal member of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But Jesus was not always a man. And the wonderful miracle is that the eternal God stepped out of eternity into time and became a man through the incarnation, the virgin birth, where he didn't just borrow a human body or take over one for a period of time, but he became fully human while remaining fully God. Jesus took on a complete human 
body and human nature. Body, soul, mind, will, and emotions. Everything that we made up of, body, mind, will, and emotions, and of course, spirit. And when he took on humanity, a human nature, he took it on with all its limitations, but without surrendering his deity or his divinity. The Apostle Paul, in a magnificent hymn of praise, speaks to this in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 6 to 8. And he's speaking of Jesus, who being in very nature God, I want you to notice this, fully God, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he emptied himself. He emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Paul describes this incredible moment when the eternal God, Jesus, stepped out of eternity into time and remaining fully God, became fully man and what he did to do that, taking on the limitations of humanity. He was by very nature God, but it says he emptied himself. The Greek word and the theological concept is kenosis, the emptying of himself. And there's all sorts of theories around how he did that, what actually was done at the moment. But what he did in essence, while remaining fully God, he emptied himself of the glories of heaven, the prerogatives of being divine. He emptied himself of rank, of privilege, and of all his divine rights and became fully dependent on the Father's voice and the leading and the fullness of the Holy Spirit working in and through his life. The Lord became a servant, even being obedient to death on a cross. John describes it this way in John 1 and verse 14. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. I love that. The eternal word, that's one of the references to who Jesus was in eternity past, became human and made his home amongst us. It was a visit, a living amongst us, dwelling amongst us is another phrase that is used. Jesus took on a human body so he could save our bodies. He took on a human mind so that we could have the mind of Christ and have our minds renewed and transformed. Without becoming human in his emotions, he could never rescue our hearts. And without taking on a human will, he could not save our broken, wandering, and at times rebellious will. That's the wonder of Jesus becoming one of us, experiencing life as we do. As a human, Jesus experienced all the ordinary things of humanity, yet without sin. The Bible is very powerful and specific on that. He experienced human life just as we do in all its fullness, in all its pain, in all its rejection, in all the things that happened to us as human beings, yet he was without sin. He grew and developed. He experienced hunger, thirst, weariness, 
and all the full range of human emotions he knew what it was to feel rejected to feel the pain of the loss of a loved one and on and on he knew what it was experienced joy of the fellowship of friends and enjoying a meal and and he knew what it was to feel tired and all those things and the writer of Hebrews explains to us why this is so important and it goes to this concept that true godliness flows out of our lives or into our lives because of the humanity of Jesus. There are other factors, but this is a key concept. Hebrews 2 and verse 17. For this reason, he had to be made like them, like us. For this reason, he had to be made like us, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. I want you to notice he had to become like us so that he could be a merciful, compassionate, faithful high priest on our behalf. So that when we come to him in our pain, in our brokenness, when we come to him being lost and and uncertain, bound, he understands the human condition because he became one of us, not just for a moment in time, but now for eternity future. And because of that humanity, fully God, but fully human, He understands us completely and his response to us is that of mercy and forgiveness and faithfulness. One of the early church fathers, great theologian said this, that which he has not assumed, he has not healed. Now the word there assumed is not presumed or to assume something, uh, but to take on something. That which he has not taken on, he has not healed. And so taking on a human body, taking on human emotions, taking on a human will, taking on all that makes us human, he has the capacity to heal us and set us free as a faithful high priest. To the ancient Greeks, their God's primary attribute was known as apathe, which we get our English word apathy from. That was one of the primary attributes of God. They were completely indifferent to the pain, to the suffering of human beings. In fact, they toyed with human beings. They played with them and mocked them and did terrible things to them and and tested them in ways that were not to improve them, but to trick them. And this ability to feel nothing was key to their concept of their pantheon of gods. But Jesus is nothing like that. He knows and feels what we go through. He is one of us. He has experienced life. Again, the writer of Hebrews celebrates this in Hebrews 4 and verse 15 and following. He says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize. The word empathize literally means to suffer along with us. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize, to suffer along with us, with our weakness but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. 
And that's an incredible statement. That's why us understanding the humanity of Jesus that is fully human while remaining fully God. So he has the power to change us, to transform us, to break bondage in our life. But he has the compassion and the mercy to empathize with us, to walk with us in our weakness and in our struggle and to not reject us. He's not indifferent to whatever is going on in your life at this moment in time. Whatever has been dragged from the past, whatever is crushing you in the present, we have our great high priest who empathizes, who suffers along with us so he can set us free. And so that's why the humanity of Jesus is so important because otherwise, if we don't understand that he understands us and that he has compassion on us, we will be struggling with guilt and shame and fearful to come to him with our brokenness, with our bondage. But we can come confidently, knowing we won't be rejected, knowing we won't be mocked, knowing we come into somebody who's not indifferent to our pain. We can run to him, but also know that as God, he has the power to set us free. And that's where the second key thought comes in. The humanity of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit, whom Paul refers to on occasions as the spirit of freedom. In 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 17, he says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Don't you get that? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, is present, is acknowledged, is welcomed. It's one of the great prayers of the church. It's come Holy Spirit. We welcome you. We want you present. He says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's liberty. He's the Spirit of freedom who brings the work of Calvary and the power of the resurrection to bear in our lives. The reality is we love God, but we struggle with our pain at times, with our brokenness, with the things that we've done or things that have been done to us that put us in bondage to certain patterns of behavior or emotional thing or or wrong thinking, that the brokenness of sin. We love him, but we struggle with these things. And many of us then shy away from God with the idea, well, I've got to fix myself before I can come to God. He says, no, come, come. I understand you. I get you. And my spirit's going to work something in you. Paul, the great apostle, describes this incredible struggle that every human being has. In Romans 7 and verse 21 and following, he says, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law working in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched, wretched man I am, he says. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And then he declares, Jesus will, Jesus will. But this great apostle describes that tension, that struggle that every one of us experiences, often daily in a smaller thing and sometimes in a massive thing where we want to do what's good, but then there's things with us and and we love God, but there's this struggle going. He says, who's going to deliver me? He says, Jesus will. 
In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul has listed a number of sins that bind people and destroy them. And then he says this in verse 11. And that's what some of you were. But you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and and by the Spirit of our God. See this connection of the work of Jesus in his humanity, in his divinity, in his resurrection power, but also now the work of the Holy Spirit. He says, the things that I've just listed, he says, some of you have that. You've come out of that. Maybe you're struggling still in it. He says, but you're washed clean by the blood of Jesus. You're sanctified. We're going to look at that word in a moment. It's a scary word for some of us. But there's an important truth for us to get there. You were justified, which just means you were put into a right relationship with God simply by putting faith in what Jesus did for you on the cross. And he says, and the Holy Spirit is working in these same things. You have been sanctified. Listen to what he says in Hebrews. And the word sanctified means to be set apart exclusively to be loved and used by God. You set apart exclusively to be loved and used by God. It doesn't mean everybody's called to be a missionary or a preacher or something else, but whatever you are doing in life, you are sanctified. You are set apart by God in that circumstance to be used by Him and to be loved by Him and for Him to love others through you. So this word sanctification in the Bible has two concepts and both are important to us living in freedom. The first is what they call positional sanctification. And we are sanctified in Christ right now. No matter what you're struggling with, you will never be more holy ever, ever, ever. You go, but, but I'm doing this and I'm struggling with that and I sinned there. Yeah, but in Christ, you are already declared sanctified, perfect and holy because it's not your holiness it's not your righteousness, it's his that is imparted to you. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Did you get that? Once for all, through the death of Jesus. Again, the reason, one of the reasons he needed a human body to become one was so that he could die on our behalf. And he said, you've been sanctified by that one offering that Jesus made on the cross. And it's once for all, once for all. But then the Bible talks about what theologians refer to as progressive sanctification. And that's the process. While we start from a position of being sanctified and holy and set apart by God, that in our daily life, we are seeking to become more like Jesus by dying to sin and to our sinful nature and being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 1 says this, Beloved, with promises like these, now clearly Paul's listed a whole lot of promises. Beloved, with promises like these, and because of our deepest respect and worship of God, we must remove everything from our lives that contaminates body and spirit 
and continue to complete the development of holiness within us. So again, we're talking now about the process of sanctification, that process of God cleaning up our lives. He declares us holy. He declares us accepted. He, he loves us. He's pouring out mercy. We have a great high priest we can run to who understands our brokenness and our humanity. But he says, I want you to deal with things that are contaminating your body, your spirit, and keep growing in holiness, becoming more like Jesus. We need to understand that concept of holiness. It's not being weird. It's becoming more like Jesus and Jesus fully engaged with people in all sorts of situations. To walk in freedom, we need the Holy Spirit to help us in this process of sanctification, of God cleaning up what contaminates our lives. And as the Holy Spirit, he's our counselor, he's our friend, he's our guide. He's the one that reveals Jesus to us and makes truth real to us. Truth that Jesus promised would set us free. So again, in the freedom epistle, the book of Galatians, the apostle Paul says this in Galatians 5 and verse 16. As you yield freely and fully to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. I want you to notice this. It's not us trying to stop doing things. It's us yielding to the Holy Spirit who empowers us to make better choices that transform our lives and daily, moment by moment, we become more like Jesus. The law made us try to improve ourselves and it proved that we couldn't. But here comes the Holy Spirit Bring in all that Jesus has for us. And as we welcome him, yield to him, invite him into our circumstances, the ones that we're embarrassed about, the ones that we carry shame about, the ones that we're struggling with, we say, come Holy Spirit, I want you in this with me. The dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit comes and begins to change us from the inside out and transforms us where we begin to abandon the cravings of our old nature and our old life. Come Holy Spirit. There's a process in this and it has to do with how we walk before God. And God designed us as triune beings. We see this in the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, chapter five, verse 19 and following. And I want you to notice the introduction to this thought a few verses before is about not quenching or resisting the Holy Spirit. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. He says a few things about that. Then he says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. And I want you to notice the order in which he speaks to spirit, soul and body. It's that order. Without God, we tend to live in the reverse order, give in to the cravings, the demands of our body, our mind, our will, our emotions, and ignore what our spirit says. God said, you've got the wrong order there. 
I work through your spirit, then into your soul and then into your body. And none of those things need to be cut off or, or denied. It's a transformational thing, this. So let's talk a little bit about spirit. At the moment of salvation, the moment you put your faith, your trust in Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, you're put into a right relationship with God. The Bible calls that justification. You're put into a right standing with God. Listen to how Paul in the book of Colossians says this. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Now, I want you to notice that before we say yes to Jesus, in terms of our spirit, we are dead to God. We're cut off from God. He still loves us. He's still trying to reach into our lives, draw us to him. But we are dead to God because of sins. But the minute we put our trust in the work of the cross, in the work of Jesus, we are made alive with Christ and forgiveness flows for all our sins, past, present and future. The plan of God is that our spirit becomes the strongest part of our being. It becomes like the command center that we open our spirit to the Holy Spirit, to the word of God. And that transformation flows into our mind, into our will, into our emotions, into our circumstance, into our actions. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 12, what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given to us. All you know is the Holy Spirit wants to quicken your spirit, wants to commune with your Holy Spirit. And so in whatever struggle you're in, when you find yourself in that moment of temptation, that moment of shame, that moment where the past is binding you up, just pray the simple prayer, come Holy Spirit. We sometimes think we have to play flowery prayers filled with scripture. It's good to have scripture, you know me. But come Holy Spirit, I just need help. So God wants your spirit to be the command center of your life. And then in your soul, we're made in the image of God. We think, we reason, we experience emotions. We have the ability to choose and by the Spirit, God wants us to renew our minds, guard our emotions, and exercise our will in loving and serving Him. So when it comes to our mind, one of the greatest verses is Romans 12 and verse 2. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Isn't that good? Good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. But how does this transformation take place? God says, I want you to change your thinking. I want your thinking to align with my word. I want your thinking to align with what I say about you, what I've done for you, what Christ has accomplished for you. Renew your mind and you will begin to be transformed, changed. Metamorphosized is the Greek word, which means to be changed in stages. God wants you to engage your will. And he says to Joshua and the people of Israel, I've set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life. 
Choose life so that you and your children may live. Choose life. When you're faced with decisions, say, come Holy Spirit, I need your help. What does God's word say? Help me to choose life in this situation. And if you make a wrong choice, then ask for forgiveness because you've got a great high priest who understands your struggle, my struggle. When it comes to our emotions, Proverbs gives us this wisdom. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. There are people here that are listening to this, whether online or here in the auditorium, that that because of something that's happened, there is an emotional bondage in life. God wants you to be set free from that, but he also wants you as you grow and mature to guard your heart, to, to not let your emotions be so easily attacked by the enemy and by the circumstances of life. And so the command center is our spirit. But then there's things in our mind, our will and emotions that we need to do that line up with the word of God. But it's not in our own effort and strength. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then it comes to our body. And it's not about making rules. It's just another form of legalism. And the more rules we make to try and modify our behavior, the more opportunity to break rules and then to feel guilt and shame. Paul says this, and it's a big topic this, but I'm just gonna touch it and let you reflect on it. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. You see, what he's saying there is you're no longer under law. You have to do this, you must do that, you can't do that. It's not, that's religion, that's legalism, that'll kill you. But he's saying it's not helpful for you if you just do things that actually are gonna destroy you. Behaviors that are not gonna help you, but allow you to get into bondage. You don't wanna do that. Not a legalistic thing, but a thing again of the working of the Spirit from the inside out saying, come on, the Father wants you to live your best life, to make right choices here. And when you do make wrong, know that you've got a great high priest who brings forgiveness, who brings cleansing, who puts you back on track, who breaks the bondage that may have come onto you out of something, who sets you free and empowers you to do all of this by his Holy Spirit by his Holy Spirit. One of the adages of this age, in fact, it's of most ages, but it's been pronounced so clearly. If it feels good, do it. But some of us have done those things that felt good and then realized the destruction, the pain that we brought into our lives, into the lives of others. And so Paul says, don't you know, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, don't you know, that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you received from God. You're not your own. You're bought at a price, bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The way you live, do things that honor God, but just know you have a great high priest. Just circling back to the humanity of Jesus. He had to become one of us so he could empathize, understand us. Jesus understands you. Maybe nobody else does. Maybe you don't even understand yourself, but he understands you. And that's why 
He's such a wonderful savior. The other reason he became human was so that he could lay down his life for you and then rise again. He was vindicated in the spirit. We read in our opening verse, vindicated by the spirit because he was without sin. And he stands a living savior, welcoming you, loving on you, forgiving you and sending his spirit to set you free so that you can live in freedom. God bless you. I hope this really connects with your heart and that you will begin to just put into practice some of these things. God bless you.